our very rock and our redeemer. Amen. Any clergy person worth his or her salt knows this quote from Karl Barth. Take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both. But interpret your newspaper from your Bible. Now my ritual most mornings include reading the news online, reading it on a paper, and then, for good measure, reading it again on my Kindle. I don't read every article, but I peruse most, and sometimes I'm drawn in by a headline or a picture. On May the 2nd, in the Houston Chronicle, I read an editorial headlined, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide From Hate. It was written by Mexican-American Ruben Navarrete, who lives in San Diego. He begins by writing, and I quote, Whenever I get angry and frustrated that Mexicans and Mexican-Americans are blamed for America's afflictions, I try to remember that there's another group that has had it much worse for much longer. And then he goes on to write in his editorial, For 5,000 years, Jews have been the world's favorite scapegoats. Lose a job? Blame a Jew. Your son did not get into Princeton? It's a Jew's fault. And what Mr. Navarrete is lamenting is the horrible attack on the Chabad in Poway, California, on the last day of Passover, which you might recall wounded several, including the rabbi and an eight-year-old child. One person was killed, the alleged assailant, whom I won't name, was a musician from a conservative Protestant church. His self-proclaimed motive was to kill Jews. In his manifesto, he wrote, I'm trying to defend my nation against the Jewish people. They're destroying our people. Just about a year ago, maybe just a tad longer, I came across this gem in the New York Times. You may recall the story. Brennan Walker overslept, (coughs) as any 14-year-old might do. And because he overslept, he missed the school bus. And he knew that he'd be in big trouble if he skipped school altogether. And he thought he might make it to his third period class by walking to school. But on his way having never walked the route, only ridden it, he got lost. Now, not wanting to wander all day long, he did what I think almost anyone would. He walked up to a house, and he knocked on the door, intending to innocently ask directions to his high school. 
The woman who opened the door after Brennan Walker knocked, who is black, started yelling at him. Then the woman's husband grabbed a shotgun and fired it at him. Brennan said, she was like, why are you trying to break into my house? And I was just trying to explain to her that I was trying to get directions to Rochester High. And she kept yelling at me. Then this guy came downstairs and he grabbed the gun. I saw it and I started to run. And that's when I heard the gunshot. After sprinting from the house, Brennan, who was not hit, thank God, hid and then broke down in tears. Later, he recalled, I'm kind of happy that, like, I didn't become a statistic. And then Brennan told reporters that his mother had warned him that black boys are at risk of being shot by others. Jeffrey Siegler, a retired firefighter who is white, was charged with assault with intent to murder, as well as a felony firearm charge, and his bond was set at $50,000. He faces as much as life in prison, according to the video of his arraignment. There's a lot more to the story that's being told, and I believe that it'll all come out in court, Ziegler said at the arraignment. I was in bed yesterday morning when my wife, she just started screaming and crying. And at that point, the judge interrupted Ziegler and prevented him from finishing. You see, the man's wife appeared to have called 911 around 8.20 a.m., saying that her husband had chased a black male who had tried to break in. Later, the sheriff said the only reason 14-year-old Brennan had not been wounded or killed was because Ziegler was not proficient with his shotgun. Had he been, then surely young Brennan would have been a statistic. Okay, now the Bible part. Jesus is the good shepherd. John's gospel is loud and clear, teaching that Jesus knows us as we know him. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And isn't that why we're here today? We're here today because we've heard the Master's voice in some way, and we've wanted to respond. And it's not only that Jesus knows us and we know Jesus, but we also know him as the one who gives up his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is the good shepherd who not only ensures that the sheep are fed and protected from harm, but also loves them to the point of self-sacrifice. Jesus is the one who on the cross loves the sheep 
even unto death. And John's inference is clarion. Jesus is the good shepherd, our good shepherd. But our gospel reading today doesn't end here. Jesus continues. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. What? What? Now it's one thing for the good shepherd to reassure us, to promise us that he will protect us and keep us. But quite another For the good shepherd to say, oh, and by the way, I've got other sheep, other sheep who are not members of this fold, and they too will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice, Jesus says. And the point, I believe, is that his voice, Jesus' voice, extends beyond the bounds of of this or any congregation. I preached to you this morning, and you're within the sound of my voice, but the voice of Jesus reaches well beyond the limits of my voice. We come together and worship so that we might better hear the voice of Christ speaking to us, guiding us, and revealing God's truth to us. But might Jesus also be out in the world, speaking to others whom we don't know as he knows? I think so. God is speaking to others who are not like us, People who look different. People from different cultures. People who have different understandings of the world and the faith than we do. Therefore, it's never enough for this church or any church to only be a warm, loving, caring fellowship of friends. As noble as an achievement as it is to be a loving, caring church, this characteristic does not ensure that it's fully God's church. Because God's church is wherever God says that it is. So Jesus tells us in our gospel lesson that he is speaking to whomever he chooses. And the message, I believe, is that God's designs are larger than the property line of this congregation or any denomination. John 10, with its image of the Good Shepherd, is John's counterpart to Luke 15. In the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is criticized for, for receiving into fellowship and eating with sinners. And so in response to that criticism... Jesus tells some of his most memorable parables, including the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd has one sheep that wanders away from the pasture and becomes lost. So the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and goes and searches for that one sheep. 
And when he finds that one lost sheep, he returns to the fold rejoicing. Now, when Jesus told this parable, it must have been a jolt to the sensibilities of the 99 stay-at-home sheep. The shepherd was so concerned with seeking and saving that one lost sheep that the shepherd risked the 99 to retrieve the one. Why? Because Christ is the good shepherd. Christ's goodness is not only that he is good to us, those safe in the fold, but that he is also good to those outside of the fold. Christ not only gives his life for us, but for all. God, through Christ, has not only come into our lives, but has come into the lives of others. Black people, white people, brown people, yellow people, gay people, straight people, transgendered people, Jewish people, Muslim people, all people. So may we love the Good Shepherd the way God loves us, and may we love others in the same way that Christ loves I am the good shepherd, Jesus teaches. And what he says, he says to all. Tom Long is a distinguished Presbyterian pastor. He's an author. He's a seminary professor. And he repeatedly recounts the story of a Sunday in his boyhood Presbyterian church in Georgia when a man in shabby clothes ambled into their church during worship. Well, the stranger might have been a drifter passing through town. Perhaps he he jumped off a boxcar. The good folk in the congregation didn't know where he had come from, and they also didn't know if he was up to no good. Or if perhaps he was planning to prey on the people while their guard was down at church. All they knew for sure was that he was not one of them. The usher stepped aside as the outsider entered. He was handed a worship bulletin, but not graciously. He sat by himself on a pew there toward the rear. And throughout the service, the pastor and all of the worshipers cast nervous glances in his directions, wondering if maybe... He might, or perhaps when he might, disrupt their service of worship. And then when the offering plates were passed, folks suspected that the stranger might take something out of the plate rather than put something into the plate. And then after the sermon, after the sermon, the man arose and quietly departed. Although Tom was just a child at the time, he recalls vividly that after worship, those Georgia farmers stood under a big oak tree in the churchyard and they talked amongst one another in serious, very muted tones. And then Dr. Long says, they probably did not know how to say it, but everyone knew that God had put our church to a test.
and where it flunked. Tom Long frequently retells this story because he says that he knows that it's at the heart of what it means to be Christ's best friends and at the very same time his most disappointing betrayers. Jesus said, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Carl Barth said, take your Bible and take your newspaper, read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Maybe on this Mother's Day, that's something for all of us to ponder. Amen.